0: Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. That
1: free speech is under assault like never before. Now more than ever, freedom is under its most pressing assault. This is
2: what
1: organizing looks like. This is what building power looks like. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15. Armed with the media, big tech, and the global elite, the left has control over my generation it's time to stand up and fight for my generation it's time to fight back against the teachers who push critical race theory it's time to fight back against the principals who don't let conservatives come to campus we have to work together to do this but it is a worthy fight and we have no choice if we lose freedom here as ronald reagan said there is no place we can escape to There's a major win by Greg Abbott in the Texas Supreme Court. North Korean defector is called racist by white liberals for reporting muggers. And a congresswoman who grew up in a socialist country rips President Biden for his policies underlining a socialist structure. All this on this episode of Let Freedom Ring. Hey guys, Noah Ring here, obviously, host of Let Freedom Ring. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We do have Latham Sadler coming on in about eh, 45 minutes or so. Um, Depends how long it takes us to get through these stories. So let's start with the Texas Supreme Court denying the request to to restore pay. You see, what happens a lot is, this is something I noticed that I I wanted to talk about because, well, this is my podcast and I can talk about whatever I want. If you look at when a a Republican or Democrat takes over the White House, right, when Donald Trump took over the White House or, or when Joe Biden took over the White House, Who they appoint to these ambassadorships, who they appoint to these uh, cabinet-level positions, advisors, everything. Who they put to appoint uh, to run the CDC, all these things, the FDA. Republicans, by and large, and it's not always 100%, typically appoint very successful businessmen or veterans or or whoever. Somebody who has real-life experience. While Democrats appoint... People who were professors, people who have never had a real job in their life, a job where they actually had to worry about a paycheck. They appoint people who work for the system. We learned that when Joe Biden appointed the head of the CDC, who now believes she's the Speaker of the House and can make policy. She was her entire job was a professor at a college in Massachusetts. And many people start to wonder why. Why? that why the left has been able to take over institutions without any conservative pushback and i th- i was talking to uh, a buddy of mine who will be on the show friday chad garrett a uh, host of many podcasts but you'll hear more about that on friday and he said do you he asked me he said do you know why democrats took over the institutions the, the colleges the high schools i said i said oh you know conservatives want a higher paying job that that pays better and that's more rewarding and everything he said no he said conservatives went to war and liberals went to college and to draft to dodge the draft which i don't obviously i'm not saying this is that there's no liberals who are brave and serve in the military That's obviously not true but by and large the hippie crowd went and went to college to dodge the draft while conservative patriotic God-loving, God-fearing, country-loving Americans went to war and fought for freedom domestic and abroad. And it shows you also the work ethic difference between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, As many of you guys remember, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, suspended the pay for those uh, Democratic lawmakers who... Got on a probably a George Soros-funded plane and flew to Washington D.C. He suspended their pay, rightfully so. They weren't working. If you walked out of your job for and flew to D.C. for a week and spread and spread COVID everywhere with with your Michelob Ultra, or sorry Miller Lite, I don't think your boss would pay you either. So the Democrats obviously mad that they didn't get their money because that's all they care about is taking money from taxpayers and giving it to their fellow comrades. They filed a request saying, hey, this is illegal. Well, the Texas Supreme Court has sided with the Republican and uh, Greg Abbott in this case. So we'll read this. This is via Tim Pierce at The Daily Wire. It says, The Texas Supreme Court denied a petition from Democratic lawmakers to restore funding to the state legislature Monday. Texas Governor Greg Abbott vetoed funding for the state legislature in June to withhold paychecks from Democratic lawmakers. Abbott took action after Democrats stalled Republican-backed legislation by refusing to attend votes on bills, breaking quorum, and blocking the Texas House from conducting business. Soon after Abbott cut funding to the legislature, Democrats petitioned the Supreme Court to intervene and overturned the governor's veto of the state funding. The court denied the request, saying that the Dem- the fight Democrats asked the court to resolve is not, be- is not between two co-equal branches of government, but within one branch, namely the legislature, outside of the court's purview. While in D.C., Democratic House members have met with members of the Biden administration and Congress to urge passage of federal legislation on voting and have held public meetings to draw attention to their cause, the court wrote. They have publicly stated that the importance of defeating the Republican-supported election bill justified their departure from Texas and breaking quorum, even though it also prevented the Texas House from restoring Article X funding. They have not returned to the House to allow it to continue business. The Republican House members, for their part, have insisted that the House pass the elections bill and perhaps other legislative priorities before addressing the Article X funding. The special session expired on August 6, just a few days ago. These public statements and events make it clear that the subject of the petition for the writ of mandamus, the lack of Article X funding for the legislature, continues to exist, not because of a dispute between the governor and the legislature, nor even because of one between the governor and a minority of House members, rather the principal dispute is among the members of the legislature, the court continued. The court noted that the majority of members in the Republican-controlled legislature back Abbott's idea. Says Although the governor certainly seeks to advance legislation he favors, the majority of the members of the legislature support the same legislation. Relator House members oppose that legislation and have broken quorum to further their opposition, the court said. It appears from the record of the special session that they could have restored Article X funding for the legislature had they been present to vote to do so. They have chosen to continue to absent themselves in order to prevent passage of voting legislation. The legislative majority could have chosen to restore Article X funding before taking up the legislation the governor favors. They have chosen not to do so. This political dispute within the legislative branch is not an issue of separation of powers that we can decide, the court continued. For these reasons, the petition is denied. Again, that was via the Daily Wire. So as I told you, the Democrats... Democrats love doing work. They love, or I'm sorry, they love getting paid for work they don't do. They love getting paid for telling you and I that you and I are racist, that you and I support racist policies, because if you didn't know, gang, if you didn't know, fellas, the left thinks that if you support support law and order, if you support the Second Amendment, if you support lowering taxes, because you and I both know that the government is not good with money, that you must be a racist. Heck, if you point out that the left is hypocritical for their lack of for their lack of a backbone, really, and their lack of wanting to live under the same rules that live under the same rules that they impose on us, well then obviously you have to be racist. I'll tell you what, I this lack of hypocrisy also does not just go with the left. It's really what I call the elitist. There are people who are elite, and then there are elitists, right? And the elitists are people who think that they're better than you and I. They think that they are they are more important than you and I, and they should live by separate codes. I had a chance to talk with a congressional candidate in GA10, Mike Collins. He's a good friend of mine, and we were talking uh, because we were both speaking at the same event. And we were talking afterwards because, like I said, I've known him for a while. And Mike said during his speech something that really I think is a great idea. It said, I think for a year... That we should take the health care plan that the United States Congress has, and we should take the health care plan that the veterans have, our, our brave men and women who served for this country, and we should switch them. We should swap them. And veterans should receive the health care that Congress gets, and Congress should, receive, should have to go to a VA to get their health care done and see how quickly Congress acts. And I think he's 100% right. Many members of Congress are okay with the level of health care that our veterans receive because it doesn't affect them. Many, the vast majority, are not veterans who have disabilities and who who's, are poor and whose entire health relies on the uh, relies on publicly funded health care. If they did, then most of these people wouldn't wouldn't be pushing for for socialists. But this is this is seriously a problem because if you guys didn't know, you can be a white supremacist. Even if you're not white. You can be racist if you're not white. Only if you're a Republican, though. Because this is also by the Daily Wire. Uh, a North Korean defector was called racist by white liberals for reporting muggers. Park claimed that if the same incident had happened in North Korea, the bystanders would have immediately helped the victim. This is via Amanda Prestigiacoma. And I, Amanda, if you're listening, I'm sorry that I butchered your last name. It says, North Korean defector... Yen- Yaomi Park was called racist by white bystanders when she called authorities to report three black women who mugged her. Park 27 discussed the incident and the reaction from liberal bystanders during a recent episode of Joe Rogan's podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. It's a great podcast. The North Korean defector noted that speaking openly about the mugging has made her, quote, an enemy of the woke, simply because her muggers were black. Seems like Democrats aren't focused on the right issue to me. She claims about 20 people many who she said were white, accused her of being racist for blaming the women for mugging her. Reported the New York, this reported by the New York Post. They were telling me that the color of their skin doesn't make them a thief, Park said. Calling a black person a thief is racist. Park claims the woman was trying to restrain and started punching her. I tried to call the police, and they prevented me from calling the police, Park said. That's what I was thinking. This country lost it. She added, anybody can become a murderer or a thief, but it just happened to become a black woman. If she were still in North Korea, Park said, bystanders would have helped the victim in the mugging, not called a racist. They're not going to just out of nowhere scream, you're a racist, she told Rogan. The Post noted that the 29, that 29-year-old that 29 Lucretia Harris was sentenced to two years in, in connection with the incident when she pleaded guilty to unlawful restraint as a part of a deal with prosecutors. It's unclear what happened to the, to the other two muggers involved in the incident. Park suggested during the interview... That they slipped through the cracks because of the violent crime wave in the Democrat-run city. As highlighted by the Daily Wire in June, Park spoke about when, what she experienced at Columbia University, memorably saying that not even North Korea went to the level of brainwashing she witnessed. I expected that I was paying for this fortune all this time and energy to learn how to think, but they are forcing you to think what they want you to think. She said, I realized, wow, this is insane. I thought America was different, but I saw so many similarities to what I saw in North Korea that I started worrying. Park also highlighted examples of anti-Western sentiment and guilt-tripping, the Daily Wire noted. I said, I love those books. I thought it was a good thing, Park said of classical literature. Then a student said, did you know those writers had a colonial mindset? They were racists and bigots and are subconsciously brainwashing you. So-called preferred gender pronouns were also troubling and confusing to Park. English is my third language. I learned it as an adult. I sometimes still say he or she by mistake, and now they are going to ask me to call them they. How the heck do I incorporate that into my sentences? She recalled thinking, it was chaos. I felt like the regression. I felt like it was a regression in civilization. Even North Korea is not this nuts. Park said, North Korea was pretty crazy, but not this crazy. When somebody who came from one of the most oppressive regimes. This world has ever known in North Korea, and they are calling out the left for the brainwashing and the the hypocrisy and the, I should say, socialism and tyran- tyra- tyra- tyrannical leanings of the Democratic Party. That's a problem. Now, of course, because Christi- or because this, this defector is seen as conservative, which. I don't know her political beliefs. I don't think she's ever really talked about them. But because she is seen as conservative, nobody will talk about this. It won't get discussed. So it leaves people in the dust. Because if, this, if she had a chance to speak to every single American at once and discuss how Biden's America is turning into a socialist country, Democrats would lose. Because they wouldn't have a leg to stand on. You can't talk about socialism. Bernie Sanders can't talk about how good socialism is when this lady has seen the worst of socialism. She's seen the worst. She's seen socialism that led into communism, that led into a tyrannical government that if you speak ill of the ruling class, that you will go to jail and three generations before and after you of your family, if they're still alive, before you and three generations after you will go to jail. Your parents, your kids, your Your grandkids, your great-grandkids that aren't even born yet will be jailed. So because of that, they can't let this lady speak. She poses a threat, so she must be silenced. I can't wait until people on the left start telling us to deport her, to send her back to North Korea. Because you and I both know, eventually, if this lady keeps, keeps speaking ill of anything the Democratic Party wants, they'll send her back. Just like President Barack Obama did, just like President Joe Biden will, when it comes to the Cuban defectors, the people who are coming over here from Cuba. Now, my opinion on this is, my opinion on immigration is the same. I am not in favor of illegal immigration, whether you're coming from Canada, Mexico, Cuba, El Salvador, wherever. But I think think that the right thing to do is to find a way to instill freedom in Cuba. Now, obviously, I don't want to be at war in Cuba for the next 50 years, but I think that it's better than Cubans coming to this country illegally. I, I do feel for the Cubans who are fighting for freedom. I feel for everyone around the world who are fighting for freedom, but I don't think the right answer is to come here. However, I do think it's important when that some of these people's voices are, be, are, are lifted up. Malala Yousafzai. Um, this, uh, I think her name is Miss Park, the one who came over from North Korea. They do shed light on what's going on in the world. And it's always great when it's anti-democratic stuff that they're saying as well. So let's get into our last story and then we'll have lay them on. So getting back into the, the idea of socialism, again, this is via the daily wire. I think I, I think I'm, this is just turning into another daily wire podcast. So Congresswoman uh, from Indiana, Victoria Sparks, is started some, some. you know, she's, she's ripped President Biden, calling his policies a socialist system. She was one of the first Republican female immigrant in the U.S. U.S. House of Representatives. It was Indiana Rep- Representative Victoria Sparks who immigrated from socialist Ukraine. She ripped President Biden, saying his policies have, quote, underlined the policies of the socialist system. In an exclusive interview, CNS News asked Sparks, do you think President Joe Biden in his policies are is a socialist? Or how would you describe his policies? She said, well, I think there are two ways. And, you know, people kind of use words. There are two economic systems, right? One system where the decision is done by the stakeholders of the market, by private enterprise in the free enterprise system, Sparks answered. We exchange transaction and we decide, right, what you're going to buy and you decide what you're going to pay and we come to an agreement. We have this arm's length transaction, another system where decisions are more centralized and made by the government. You know, that is what socialism is socialist, Socialism is about, she continued. Government intervenes in making a lot of decisions and providing, you know, really, you know, the centralized, you know, power, accumulation of centralized power. So if you look at about that, you know, I mean, a great example, you know, she says, you know, a lot, Congresswoman. All of the price controls, wage controls, when the government decides what is going to be paid in the market, when the government decides what the prices are going to be, when the government decides to start controlling assets and talking about public opinion, option insurance company, government-owned assets, by pure definition, socialism by Karl Marx is when the government starts owning assets and owning companies. That's the definition of socialism. When government makes this decision for you instead of you, you, that is actually the definition of socialism. So a lot of his policy have underlined the policy of a socialist system, she charged. You know, I think it's unfortunate that the system that failed in a lot of countries, it took the Soviet Union 70 years to fail, now is being promoted in our country because its centralized government and decision-making never works out. I think Margaret Thatcher said, until you run out of money, it works, right? Because you do, and you see what's happening in countries like Venezuela. You know, you can see what's happening in countries like Cuba. There are, these are countries that have the resources. They have good people out there. The system is just rotten from inside, and it's unfortunate that we promote some of them. For some background, the Ukraine was part of the Communist Soviet Union from 1922 to 1991. Sparts was born in, the U- in Ukraine in 1978 and emigrated to the U.S. in 2000. She lived under communist rule for 13 years. Sparts became a U.S. citizen in 2006 at the age of 22, and she's married and has two children. When she was asked about her background in a socialist system, Sparks answered, life in a socialist country is not very easy. You know, it's when people talk about equality, it's really equality and misery, where you have a political elite and classes on top, and then everybody else is trying to be suppressed to be equally poor. Unfortunately, even a system like that, even a country like the Soviet Union had a lot of resources. Don't really, you know, don't stay like that forever and run out of money because the system is very inefficient. And people don't like to be suppressed. There's a natural longing for freedom, you know, and you can do it for so long. And it's really not freedom. Governments tell you when you're going to be in jail, you can be in jail. I think it's it's great. So I don't think I've ever told this story on this podcast before. But most schools require you to take economics and you to take a, what's the word, uh, a government class, whatever, my economics professor was a lady named Miss Nastase. She was from Romania. She lived under the Soviet Union. And we I remember I asked her once, I said, what's your opinion? What, what was life like growing up under the Soviet Union? She lived under the Soviet Union, obviously, for her, her, her childhood. And she said there were bread lines, and she said, you know, there wasn't a lot of food. You know, they had enough to get by, but never enough to, you know, grow or anything like that. And I think if people like Miss Stasse, my my professor, who I was so lucky to have, were in every classroom, we'd be in a way better country. Because she, I remember there was this lady, or I guess girl, I don't know what you call her, who was in my class, who you know, everyone knew was kind of, you know, more left-leaning student. And by the end of the year, she kind of had came around and she realized, hey, socialism doesn't really work. I mean, I mean, imagine she tries to tell Mrs. Stasse that socialism is the best thing ever. It would be kind of stupid because Mrs. Stasse grew up under the idea of socialism being terrible, which it is. But without further ado, I want to bring on somebody who has actually seen firsthand what happens in these tyrannical governments uh, during his service in the United States Navy. Latham Sadler, Latham, glad to have you on.
2: Yeah, Noah, hey, pleasure to be on the show. It really is an honor to be here and pleasure to connect with with all your listeners. Um, Yeah, as you mentioned, I'm Latham Sadler, I'm, I'm running for United States Senate to win this seat back from, from Raphael Warnock next year. Uh, sort of a brief snapshot of my background is a proud son of Georgia, was born in Atlanta. Uh, my mom's from South Georgia, a small town called Bainbridge. I spent a lot of my time in the summer down there and then went to the University of Georgia, go dogs!
1: Go Dawgs. Was
2: having the Yes, sir, was having the time of my life. There, and then, unfortunately, 9-11 happened while I was a student there, and it changed my life forever, Noah, and it it set me on a a pathway that took me in my 20s uh, to becoming a Navy SEAL officer, so I worked in New York City for a few years, went to graduate school at Georgia Tech for international affairs. I figured I needed to learn about the world if I was going to be leading troops overseas uh, in the the war on terrorism, and then I, I learned... Farsi and Dari which is what they speak in Iran and Afghanistan and parts of Tajikistan and lived in Tajikistan for a full academic year. I did all sorts of crazy stuff man. I backpacked through Afghanistan as a grad student um, and then got in the best shape of my life and at the ripe age of 28 put in my application to the Navy got picked up to become an officer and and shipped out to Coronado California for SEAL training and Uh, Man, I'll tell you, at that age, it was a miracle I made it through. As a Georgia boy, I was not a natural in the water, and I broke my foot in what's called Hell Week, and just, I don't know, I look back on it, man, and it was just, it was truly a miracle I made it, but what's fantastic is the Navy just leveraged the heck out of me uh, with my background, especially with those languages. So I deployed to Afghanistan, led a 25-man element in Iraq. Uh, and then my last assignment of eight years total active duty was in the Trump White House. I served as his director for intelligence programs overseeing uh, the Black Ops portfolio up there on the National Security Council, and it was just an incredibly rewarding experience. I mean, we, we took it to our nation's adversaries, and I'm I'm mighty proud of the work we did up there. Transitioned out of the Navy after eight years. I've got a twin brother with Down syndrome who's the closest person in my life, and He's going to come live with Melissa and the boys and me. We've got a one-year-old boy and a four-year-old boy, and uh, so I kissed my dream job goodbye after eight years. Ended up staying on board the Trump White House for an additional year as a White House fellow, uh, working on all domestic policy issues for that year. So I worked on workforce development and criminal justice reform, and uh, after two and a half years in the Trump administration, we packed our bags, came home to Georgia to raise our boys, and was on the leadership team over at synovus and then 2020 happened and it and it uh started feeling a very similar conviction that i felt after 9-11 clearly there's something wrong with our country right now and as a national security guy i'm very concerned about uh about the challenges we face not just abroad which is which had been my focus but but here at home and i think we all know there's something wrong with our country and so the runoff happened didn't go the way i wanted noah and didn't go the way, way any of us wanted. And folks started reaching out to me saying, Latham, you need to consider jumping into this thing. It's going to require somebody very different to beat Raphael Warnock next year. And George has always had a national security expert in the Senate. We had Richard B. Russell back in the day. We had Sam Nunn. We had Johnny. We had Saxby. We had David. And now, for the first time since World War II, we don't have anybody in the Armed Services Committee. And so we decided to jump into this thing. And man, I'll tell you. Three and a half, four months in, it's been. Uh, it's it, the response has been incredible. I think people really understand what's on the line, and people are ready to have a next generation country first conservative with America first policy experience in that seat, and that's what I bring to bear, man.
1: I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, I know it was it was great when I was represented by Republicans in the Senate, and now obviously being represented by John and uh, Rafael is definitely not a not a dream come true. I, I'm sure you can imagine Latham. Well. You know, there's, you know, we could do a six hour long podcast and Joe Rogan style, and I could have a bunch of questions to ask you. But my, my my question to you really is, you know, what? So obviously, you know, you have a very big dedication to country. Obviously, I mean, at 28, joining the Navy SEALs—that's not norm. First off, no Navy SEALs normal. Let's be honest. You guys are top the to top. Everything is crazy. So you're getting in this race, you know. And first off, Bainbridge is a, is a very nice town. Been there many times. So you got you got in this race. So what what would you say really is your top legislative priorities uh if you if you do beat Raphael Warnock or and you win this primary and you beat Raphael Warnock, which we definitely hope you beat Raphael Warnock. Yep,
2: yeah. So top legislative liberty and prosperity. Uh so simply put, I'm gonna defend the country, defend the constitution, and defend the American economy. And so with security I break that down into three areas. Number one is on national security. There are critical things that need to be done for the country. Uh, Where I was perched uh, at the White House on the National Security Council, I got to see the the blood and guts of our national security apparatus, both at the, the Pentagon and the intelligence community, and they're doing fantastic work for the country. But there's serious reforms that need to be made to prepare for the the threats that are right around the corner, especially with next generation technologies that our adversaries have and it's stuff most people don't know about, but it's, it's those institutional reforms, Noah, you can only get that done from Capitol Hill, specifically in a few committees on the Senate, the Senate Armed Services Committee, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence and the Senate Appropriations Committee because they control the funding and the authorities. What's crazy is the president of the United States can't make those changes. You can only do it in a few of those seats in the, in the United States Senate. And and the interesting thing is those senators don't always get the full picture that a handful of folks at the White House get. And I was fortunate to be one of those folks at the White House. So, you know, I tell folks my wife is very concerned uh, about me being in one of those seats because she thinks I'm never going to sleep again because I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. every day just ready to roar and put our adversaries on on their heels and I look forward to doing it. One thing specifically I'm gonna do on that front is I'm gonna to push to have 50% at a minimum of the resources of the Department of Defense and the intelligence community focused on the China threat. I mean, I, I received, Noah, all the briefings in the Situation Room about what all of our adversaries are doing to seek to harm us. and the fo- And the stuff I learned about China still keeps me up at night. So we've gotta wake up to that threat. We need United States senators that actually understand that threat I mean, just uh, the, the estimate is between 300 and 600 billion dollars a year of what they steal in American technology. And if you break that down, I mean that's about four to six thousand dollars to per four person household in America, costing us that. I mean they're they're crushing us on that front, and we need we need senators that are going to stand up to that, not just on the military front, but also on the economic front. One of my ideas my my team loves loves some of my crazy ideas but but I'm dead serious about this. One of the things I'm also going to push to get past, which you can only do from Capitol Hill, is any Chinese product sold in the United States Noah This is actually my first time sharing it so uh okay. honor to share it with your listeners uh, i I want it's, it's no longer going to be made in China. It will need to be labeled "Made in Communist China," <laughs> I, and I'm, I'm serious about it. My team laughed too. I said, "Hey, I, I'm I'm dead serious about it." I mean, Americans need to know where we're buying some of these products from, and and uh, it's, it's it's time to make that abundantly clear that China is our adversary, and it's and and we've got to be strong if we're going to stand up and make this an American 21st century. So that's that's one. Also on security, obviously. Every Republican candidate's going to tell you we've got to secure the border. Um, we are all in agreement on that. Um, I think that we need to be
0: – we need
2: next generation conservative leaders that actually understand how to do that in a complex and effective way. So we need the wall where we can put it. There's parts of the southern border where you can't put a wall. But we're the most innovative country on the planet. And there's companies that I've seen, Noah, that have next generation technology specifically with – virtual reality, and artificial intelligence, that they can monitor those 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 gaps in our border. And so I think we need a combination of a wall and a technological wall. In fact, the official number, there's 11 million undocumented folks in this country. We, we all know it's far more than that. But even if we use that 11 million figure, Noah, I remind Georgians, that is the population of our state. You're right, just so right. Just for perspective, that's that's and and it's still bleeding through. And so, uh, what's going on right now is a travesty on the border. It's 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 inhumane. They like to call us conservatives for wanting to secure the border. Inhumane? No, no. We're 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 not going to allow the left to steal that high ground anymore on messaging. And and I intend to help win that battle for us. What's what's happening right now at the border is inhumane, and there's no arguing that. And then finally, obviously, we need election security. Uh, I, I make the I make the case. Noah, you know they like to point out that 202 is voter suppression. I mean, because because of the requirement for an ID. Give me a break. Uh, voter suppression. I think the biggest form of voter suppression you can find is election insecurity, and 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 that's why we need to secure our elections. Wait, if 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 you've got good good citizens who are Georgians showing up and doing their civic duty to vote and you don't have secure elections and you've got illegitimate voters voting well guess what that does that voids out legitimate voters votes that is voter suppression that is why we have to secure our elections and so that's security and then we got liberty and prosperity and i'll break those down quickly quickly liberty obviously being a being a team guy i'm a big 2a guy on a ton of guns uh, uh, always will be a, be a big supporter of the Second Amendment, but who would have thought we need to we need to actually defend the First Amendment in this day and age? That's that's where we are, sadly. And we launched our campaign on Brett Bear on April fifteenth, midway through my interview. Noah, our, our our Twitter feed gets shut down right as we're gaining all these followers. Down for three straight days, no explanation from Twitter. I mean that threat is real and it needs to be addressed. And I think we're long overdue for Teddy Roosevelt-style trust-busting of big tech. And then finally, prosperity. I, I speak to – I'm going to defend the American economy. I speak to small business owners every day, Noah. They're still telling me they can't find workers. And it's, they can't compete with a free government paycheck. And again, we need next-generation conservatives that can find creative ways to win on the messaging. And our messaging that we're making clear with our campaign on this is dignity, not dependency. And what I mean by that is as conservatives, we seek a limited government that creates economic opportunity for the American worker and therefore provides them dignity through that work. And we're literally seeing, as you well know, the opposite of that coming out of Washington today with this big government full of false promises and creates this moral hazard dependency on our government. And so we've got to win on that front as well. So security, liberty, and prosperity and Man, I, I I can't wait to get up there and uh, and get after it for for our state for the country in that seat. So I'm 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 kind of a there there are definitely I I think there are definitely elements of my worldview that that fall in that category because look I think that there are too many people in America that look at Washington and think I'm not represented. And before this last election cycle, uh, you know, Georgians, some Georgians felt that way. But, man, I'm on the trail every day with Georgians telling me we don't feel like we have two United States senators. We don't even feel like we have one United States senator. Who is carrying my voice in Washington? It's almost like uh, it's almost like people view, and, and I view it this way too, that there's this stratosphere in Washington that – that is up in this upper echelon that's supposedly untouchable. And so one of the one of the goals with my campaign, Noah, is I just hope that you know, again, especially as the youngest person in this race by almost a decade, I really want to bust open the gates for other country first leaders who have ever considered stepping up and serving. And not just in the United States Senate. I mean, we need we need conservatives stepping up for school board seats these days with CRT on the run the way it is today and so my my goal with this it it does have those elements for sure um but but I, on the other on the other side of the coin i look at our adversaries and i've stared them down face to face and you know they hate me because i'm an american and i've literally seen that pure hate and evil in specifically the taliban's eyes after we rolled up some guys and you know we've got to have a stronger uh, a stronger country that has that America first mindset. So, I mean, it's my goal to ignite the Patriot and everybody I come across in this campaign and bust open the gate for especially younger conservatives that have ever considered serving. I hope you have listeners out there that have ever thought about it and can look at my campaign and say, hey, that guy is 100% authentic. He didn't sell out. He didn't sell his soul. He didn't kiss rings. He Was 100 percent himself, loved the country to the core, and got up there and served and made a difference. I, I hope to bust open the gates for folks like that because that's the way I operate.
1: Well, I think you're, I think well, you're, I think you're the best. That your your story of the American dream, the the dream of Georgia. I mean, you know, I know how small of a town Bainbridge is. I mean, the the son of you know the daughter of Bainbridge, Georgia. You know, somebody from Bainbridge, Georgia. That, you know, through hard work and dedication, you know, went to UGA, went to Georgia Tech, learned all these things, and ultimately served in the White House, both in a military and a non-military role um, as a fellow. It's definitely a very American first story and a very a story that shows how great America is, while, you know, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, you know, are, are two U.S. Senators, you know, think America is this evil place. So... Latham, I think everyone you know who's listening is gonna is gonna love you, and a minute I'm gonna ask them where they can where they can find you. But I think you're ex- ex- exactly right about the border. Uh, we just had Congressman Carter on, on the show uh, on Monday morning, and he he told me because he made two trips down, uh, one with President Trump and one um, with Doctors Caucus because he's a pharmacist. And I, first off, I didn't know pharmacists were doctors, but I learned that uh, thanks to thanks to Congressman Carter. So. Uh, he he, t- he detailed and showed me how there was enough fentanyl caught so far this year alone to kill every American four times over. And I think you're also extremely right on the China issue. I personally believe one of the worst things that one of the worst pieces of legislation signed in my lifetime was in 2001 when Bush signed the free trade agreement with China because it gave China unfettered access. Because the Chinese company, most people don't know this, is is, is basically the Chinese government. So we're giving the Chinese government, you know, all of our information and they're stealing it. They're, they're almost as bad as Amazon at it, at trying to put American companies and small businesses out of, out of, out of business. So real, real quickly, um, you know, I'm going to run through some quick questions, you know, fire it off. Um, so would you, I, I assume that you would support SB202 over SB1 and, and that's currently in the U.S. Senate, right? <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I've defended... 202 a number of times and you know I, if you,
1: I tell folks read the bill it's
2: easy to defend
1: it it's actually a pretty sh- it's actually a pretty short bill too
2: right exactly exactly and then of course we're seeing the opposite of that today over over what uh, particularly uh senator warnock i mean he's he's champion he's the champion of this of this you know legislation out of washington to take over elections And i think it's I find it very interesting, Noah, that he doesn't like the idea of the state getting involved in Fulton County elections yet at the same time wants to have the federal government take over the elections from the state. <laughs> yeah, well, think about that that's that's, hey, that's my opponent's mindset It's
1: amazing as I told Congressman Carter, the only standards most Democrats have are double standards, so. I do want to tell a funny story, uh, before I let you go and let, and then obviously let them know where they can find you. Do you remember at the state convention back in June when I thought the raffle was for the gun, not for. Yeah. Uh, opportunity opportunity to shoot the gun. Still upset about that. Uh, I still think it was false advertising on your part, but you know, lay them. I want to thank you for taking the time out to come on the podcast. You're actually the first Senate uh, candidate to come on the podcast. Um, for for Georgia, um, so real quickly, tell my listeners how they can how they can find you. How they you know? I'm sure there's some listeners who are like, "Oh my God, this is you know the guy uh, who needs to you know replace Raphael Warnock." So how can people either you know donate, make phone calls, door knock if they live in the state? How can they how can they keep in touch with your message?
2: Right on, Noah. Thank you so much. Uh, so the best way to Learn more about the campaign and join our mission is com and I'll spell it out, L-A-T-H-A-M-S-A-D-D-L-E-R.com, and I mean, we've got especially younger folks coming out in droves to, to help our campaign. I mean, so many folks have told me, Noah, they're like, gosh, we'd never do this as a party. Identify a young buck leader like yourself for a seat like this, and you don't look like my grandpa, and this is amazing. And so we've got tons of folks coming out to, jo- to join the mission here because it's critical. This is the best opportunity for us to win the majority back in the United States Senate next year with this seat here in Georgia. So please come join the mission. Obviously, additionally, uh, you can donate on our page as well. And I tell folks look, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you're willing to do makes a huge difference. We posted a record quarter, our first quarter this, this past quarter, and it's because people showed up. Because they believed in our mission and they helped us, and, and and I'd love for your listeners to join the mission as well. And and no, look, it's a it's a treat and honor to be on your show. I'm glad I was the first candidate, and I look forward to winning this thing back from Warnock next year. And my top line to your listeners is, I'm the I'm the country first next generation conservative leader that can and will beat Raphael Warnock. So please give me that opportunity and, and I'll knock him right out of that seat.
1: Well yeah, I I think you definitely have, you know, I think you excited enough people to do that. And we'll have to do well one, you can come on any time before the primary or the general, but we'll have to do this in uh in your Senate if you win in your Senate office, okay? I'd be honored. We will definitely do that. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Latham, of course. And again, that was Latham Sadler, uh com. You can find it in the description below. Well, that's all for uh, this show, folks. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Let Freedom Ring podcast. You're going to want to tune into the Friday episode because I have gr- I have great news um, about, you know, you'll just have to tune in Friday to listen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Ring. This is not the end, rather the beginning of a movement that will carry my generation into freedom. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.
2: Tired of your high cost of living? Grow your career and live your best life. In Ohio, Ohioans enjoy a growing economy, diverse culture, and a colorful array of arts and entertainment. But the fun
0: doesn't stop there. Explore careers and life in Ohio at findyourohio.com audio.
1: Ever get homesick for anywhere but home? As you make your return to travel, let the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card help you reach new destinations. And find new appreciation for the places you know and love. Expand your world and go boundless with the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card.
0: Learn more at MarriottBonvoy.com forward slash Chase Cards. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.